The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning, my name is Rob Daniels and welcome to Visions and Sound. Now for those who may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 16 of 2023 and show number 1,174 if you're keeping track that way. Welcome to 80s Month. We're almost near the end, but... It's still got a, another week to go, but I just wanted to say welcome. As this week we continue with a look at this week, this week's show, The V Saga. Now joining me is my special guest, Robbie Sims. Uh, welcome to the show, Robbie. It's good to have you here. Hey, Rob. It's good to be here, buddy. Good. Yeah, you were you were on a couple of months ago. And uh, this was a show. As soon as I, as soon as I presented it to you, you were like, "I gotta be on this one. I gotta be on this one." So, yeah, glad you're here for this one. Glad to be here. All right. So, do you, are you old enough to remember event television? A time where the big three networks would pull out all the stops and release a mini series or TV movie, and when it was on, everything stopped. You know, Roots, Shogun, they come to mind. Uh, and there were, of course, there were many, many others. Now, in 1983, sci-fi was riding high as Star Trek II, E.T., and The Thing all came out in 1982. 83 saw The Return of the, Je- Return of the Jedi, Blue Thunder, uh, The Dark Crystal, Krull, and Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. And even the small screen sci-fi was huge, including the likes of Auto Man, the powers of Matthew Starr and Greatest American Hero and Knight Rider. So making its way onto the small screen was V. V is a television series. It was written, by, uh, written and directed by Kenneth Johnson. It kicked off the science fiction franchise concerning aliens known as Visitors, trying to gain control of Earth and 
the ways of the the and the and sorry and the ways the populace reacts. Now, taking on aspects of War of the Worlds and kind of day of day the day the Earth stood still. Now, the series is partially inspired by Sinclair Lewis's anti-fascist novel It Can't Happen Here from 1935. Johnson wrote an adaptation titled Storm Warnings in 1982. NBC executives rejected this initial version, claiming it was too cerebral for the imag- for the average American viewer. Sound familiar, Robbie? Star Trek. Yeah, very much so. So, uh, to make the script more marketable, the he changed the American fascists, and they were reimagined as man-eating extraterrestrials. This was done also to uh, capitalize on the popularity of Star Wars and in sci-fi in general. Now, Kenneth Johnson was no stranger to sci-fi on TV as he had worked previously on Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, and The Incredible Hulk. Now, V cost $13 million at the time and adjusted for today's dollars, it would make about $35 or $35 million to make and it premiered on May 1st, 1983. Now, back a couple of years ago for the 20th anniversary of V, I did a an interview with Kenneth Johnson for uh, for the 20th anniversary, like I'm said. Now, while I will not play the entire interview, here is a little taste of his rationale behind, behind calling the show Just V. Well, I don't know of any series before or since that has used a single letter for the title. Yet, it's become, yet it has become so identifiable with the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, even today, people know what I'm talking about when I make reference to V. Right. What was the rationale for calling the show simply V? Well, I did a lot of research at the time about the resistance uh, that was going on in Europe during World War II, and um, uh, and I was fascinated uh, in just looking at the pictures uh, of particularly German propaganda posters and that sort of thing, that the resistance had taken big cans of paint and, and a paintbrush and, and scraped, you know, and just drawn a big red V over the uh, over the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and it just... You know, when I saw that, I kept seeing it over and over again in the, um, uh, you know, in the research that I did. And I thought, gee, that sort of, you know, pulls it down. And, and it's fascinating because I, I, just recently I read a uh, uh, some blurb about the new V coming out. And they said, V, which stands for visitors. I said, no, duh, hello. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But the nice part of it is that it, it, it immediately raised a question, you know, in people's mind. What is that? Mm-hmm. And uh, and how can something just have a letter as a as a title? And um, I remember when I first brought the scripts over to to Brandon and, and the guys at NBC, and I plopped them down, and there's this big red V, and they said, "What's that?" And I said, "That's the title of your show." <laughs> and they went, "Whoa, that's so cool, man!" <laughs> you know. And um, uh, it's funny because uh, you know when I when I was when I was making up the covers uh, to put on the scripts to take over to them, I literally got a can of red spray paint and a bunch of black uh, black paper and sprayed the V's on myself. Every one of them was different, of course. <laughs> and uh, but that was um, uh, you know that was the genesis of that. So now, were there any difficulties in casting any of the characters? Well, only in that the the the. The frustration was that from the day that I that Brandon read the, the screenplay and said go, until the day I said action, 
was only two and a half weeks. Uh, now, for a four-hour miniseries, uh, you know, you, you would generally prep for three months <laughs> before you'd start shooting. Exactly. So we were we were really really under the gun and. Uh, uh, in terms of casting, and I had worked with Faye Grant before in Senior Trip, is where I met her, mm-hmm. uh, and had been very impressed with her and her ability and, and her beauty, and, and it all tied together, uh, you know, sort of interestingly with a with a woman that I had researched, uh, who was uh, her name was Andrea De Jong, D E J O N J J O N G H, I think, mm-hmm. who was a, um, a French resistance fighter in World War Two, who became one of the leaders of the resistance but she was 19 years old mm-hmm. you know and, but, and I thought that's so cool uh, you know to take a young person like that who you don't expect to become the leader and watch how by natural um, selection uh, everybody else sort of pushes her into leadership so I sort of had Faye in mind throughout while I was writing it clearly I had wanted to do an Anne Frank kind of parallel mm-hmm. uh, you know with which which we did um, and and I had a, I had some very talented casting people helping me put it together at, uh, at Warner's, um, but we, I mean, there were like 65 speaking roles, I think, yeah. and about 25 of them were principal, or really principals, and uh, they, they brought me people, and I read, that rhythm. I always read with the actors myself, mm-hmm. uh, I don't let somebody else do it, because that way I can look right into the actor's eyes and see if anybody's really at home, uh, and also I'm a frustrated actor, so it gives me a chance to perform, you know, what can I say? <laughs> um, the only one that we really had trouble finding was the lead, uh, was was Mark and uh, the the sort of co-lead with with Faye. And uh, uh, Mark was cast on Friday night at 6.30, and we started shooting the next Monday morning because I, I just couldn't find a guy that was the right mix of, uh, of intelligence and, you know, acting ability and, uh, you know, as you could believe, to be an action hero. I had seen Mark uh, do Petruchio in um, Taming of the Shrew mm-hmm. uh, a year or two earlier, and it is, he'd always sort of stuck in my head. And then when we met, we just really hit it off. He had also had a wonderful sense of humor, which was really, really important to me. Mm-hmm. But he was the last one cast. No, he wasn't, actually, because uh, I couldn't find a Diana. I, I, I read all these great women in town, but nobody just hit the ball for me. And uh, we had already started shooting when uh, they asked me to take a, a, you know, after a shooting one day to come back and, and meet with Jane Badler, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, I guess had been a, done soaps and that sort of thing. And I walked in and saw those eyes and said, I found her. And, um, and then the other sadness, of course, was that I had cast Dominique Dunn uh, to play the teenage daughter, and uh, and uh, and we shot for four weeks, and and then Dominique was murdered mm-hmm. by her crazy boyfriend, uh, and I had to recast that and bring in Blair Tefkin, uh, who had the unenviable role of having to step into the shoes of somebody that was adored by everybody on the crew mm-hmm. and cast, but uh, but she did a wonderful job, and it uh, you know it came together well, so it was uh, it was run and gun the whole time. Yeah, that was a, a fantastic interview I did with Kenneth Johnson way back yeah, for the 20th anniversary of the show. <clears throat> so I remember back in 1983 uh, that this was the show to watch. On the surface, it was a science fiction action adventure, which appealed to the 13-year-old me that I was at the time. Upon further viewings, though, so much more that makes an almost it's almost a timeless series. So there was things that I uh, that I noticed in particular the 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 themes and of in, and importance of family and family history. 
Um, you see that with the um, uh, with the the old Jewish character and uh, and all of the uh, the characters. There's there's a great shot, and I, d- I don't know if, if if you if you remember this shot from the the opening where it's a pan across all the faces as they're watching the the show or where they're watching the visitors land on top of the uh, on top of the um, oh what's it called um, not, New York uh, yeah they're, they're landing on the um, oh man not United the Nations. I keep wanting to say the World Trade Center but it's not United Nations. United Nations thank you and so they're landing on top of there and there's this pan across all the faces and it and it uh, you know because this cross dissolve and it does the whole pan across to it and it's just it's fantastic. Um, like I said, parallels to to kind of modern day history and that sort of thing. You know, at the time there was it was still the uh, the Cold War, and uh, the, the Russians were still were still a still a threat. And I mean, there's there is suggestions of nuclear annihilation, and of course the visitors are wearing red. Uh, you don't need to be you don't need to to you know have it spelled out for you that. Yeah, we're kind of maybe suggesting something, not just fascism, but maybe communism as well, in, in any case. Um, now, I will have to say this as well, is that um, the character of Donovan, at the time I was, like I said, 13 years old, I was kind of into, you know, radio and, and, and that sort of thing. But it was seeing Donovan, that, that character, he was a news, uh, news cameraman, and I swear... That his char- his character drew me into wanting to be in the industry, whether it was in television or radio, it was that character. And that, th- watching that opening scene, and you know the one I'm talking about, with, with the, um, where the where he's where the, yeah with the contras and the helicopter, and uh, then they see the, the the one of the one of the motherships above that, and it's just a it, it for the effects for the time. I was watching it, and some of them are a little janky, but, you know, most of them hold up really, really well. There's also, uh, like I said, I, I mentioned the effective use of, of the modern-day setting. Um, effective use of visual storytelling. There was a lot of really good, um, perfect perfect example is the phase uh, um, uh, boyfriend. The the uh, the stockbroker, whatever the he stock was, broker, yeah. yeah. He's uh, she she's wondering, well, why are you not getting the business that you used to get? And one of the things that she she puts up on the on the desk is her white coat. And as soon as you see the white coat, it's like, oh, because because I'm a scientist, and they were going after this, and the visitors were going after the scientists because the scientists could figure out what was going way and ways to stop them. So, Robbie, can I get some of your impressions on the, on the show from that uh, from from well, first of all, when you first saw it and second of all, you know, kind of your impressions of the of the show. Well, I remember when I first saw the commercials for it, they were almost like the perfect teasers because you knew right away something epic was going to happen and they threw out this little itty bit to get you like okay here it comes but nowhere near enough to know exactly what was going to happen but okay my very first impression and this is why i love the show so much mm-hmm. was it was very realistic yes my first thing that, that i loved was 
the good guys didn't always make it to the end of the show. And that, for me, made it so enthralling because now, you know, when you watch these shows, you always pick the person that you're going to follow. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when you realize this person may not survive and you're, you're, you know, you're drawn to that person. Yeah. It adds to the excitement of the show. Every battle they went into, you're like holding your breath and you don't even realize it. Yeah. It, main, plus, main characters were not safe. There were no. some pretty main pretty major characters that were eliminated. There were exactly. And I think when it happened in the very beginning, it was so quick um, that you were I think you were put on notice almost yeah. like, okay, this there are no sacred cows here. So you literally had to walk on eggshells when watching this. Exactly. But also the the realism. They, these were real people. Like you said Donovan was a cameraman. Yeah. And you can literally see him almost stumbling into what he became. Yes. It didn't just happen overnight. He literally had to almost he had to learn, but he almost had to walk into, you know, being this great military leader when he had no experience. I mean, plenty of experience watching it and filming it, mm -hmm. but none living it. Exactly. And that was another thing that I, re I really, really enjoyed. Plus, they, even though this was about the resistance and about the fight against fascism, the, the, the development and the written of the, the writing of the characters was so you liked all of these people. Yes. There really wasn't anyone. There was only really one person I didn't like. We'll probably get into that later. Right. But other than that, you you really really cared like the Jewish couple, and then and then the family that housed the Jewish couple. Yep. You were like, what happened to them and their son? And of course, we're not wanting to give anything away. Right. But well, interesting that you mentioned that because I'm going to talk about the series being full of excellent performances. But for me, the standout performance in this is, and hopefully, I'm pronouncing this man's name correctly, Leonardo Cimino. Cimino, yeah, as Cimino, as man. as Abraham Bernstein. Yeah. Now, while most almost each character gets their moment in the series, it's uh, Samino that uh, delivers the scene where he's explaining to his son, who is trying to get rid of a group of scientists or the, the scientist family who's taking refuge, yeah. refuge in their pool house, about how they smuggled him out during the war. His recount of last seeing his wife at the the concentration camps and his delivery of they have to stay or else we haven't learned a thing yep. I also loved his cross-generation scene where he instructs the kids on some graffiti and after <laughs> painting on yeah. uh, he paints a V and goes on to say you understand for victory so go tell your friends fantastic it, whenever I see that I mean I liked Donovan, I liked uh, Jane Badler as as Diana, but it was it, the simple Abraham Bernstein character. Yep. And you know when 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 the visitors come into the pool house and he turns around and just delivers the simple line, "Shalom." Yeah, and it's just yeah, like you know, it's it's like, hey, I've been kind of expecting you. It's a, it's it, it's it's a you know, it's kind of the end for him, but at the same time, he's still. Just not scared. Just not scared. He knows what's coming. Now, we also have to talk about the music for the for, yes. for the series. It was excellent. Now, Johnston Mainstay, uh, Joe Harnell, who'd worked on both The Bionic Woman and The Incredible Hulk, puts an outstanding score 
uh, for the initial miniseries. Now, the theme actually was based on Morse code for the letter V, which uh, you'll you'll kind of hear uh, it when we play the music. Now, I had a chance to speak to Joe back in 2003. So here's a portion of that interview that I did with Joe where we kind of talk a little bit about the theme and a little bit about how he first came to the show. Um, so how did you first become aware of the, uh, the V miniseries? Well, that too, that was uh, a project that I saw from its inception uh, because Kenny and I are friends. I mean, he told me the story outline and uh, uh, it was captivating and uh, triggered some thoughts and when I expressed those thoughts, to Ken, but from the musical standpoint, he was captivated by the notion, and uh, so that was a course that I that I took. And the heart of it was V stands for visitors, mm-hmm. but it also represents a symbol that was very important during my young life, uh, having seen. Uh, Europe uh, from the eyes of a young soldier despite the uh, activities of I was in Europe for about two years of the three and a half that I served mm-hmm. and uh, so I often would see images of Winston Churchill making that sign of the V symbol yeah. that we're going to survive this thing and so forth and the drama of that then It occurred to me, not until I was a a pilot, had become a pilot after the war, that V is represented by dot, 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 dash. And Mm -hmm. then I said, my God, that's the motif, the heart of the Fifth Symphony of Beethoven. Dot, 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 dum. So I had a picnic. I had a great time putting together two ideas, musical ones, one that was a distortion of initially of those four notes and they were oh like kind of like this i'm reaching at the piano it probably will not translate very well for the phone but Mm. notes like these you can recognize that 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 down is mm-hmm. the rhythm is very slow and I used a great deal of care in in narrowing the intervals down the space from the first note uh, to the fourth note uh, so that ultimately as the show involved and victory became very clear as a motive for this whole piece that he had written mm-hmm. because we were being invaded by uh, you know uh, uh, people from another planet who turned out not to be people uh, and, the, and the analogy with what was going on uh, in World War II and before that with Hitler and what he represented so there was there were common denominators and su- suggestions of the same kind of heading and disaster uh, that beheld, uh, you know, the rest of Europe and America to stop this uh, with all all the determination we had 
was kind of a similar course. See, these people came from this other planet, mm -hmm. and uh, their their intentions were to make nice and save you know the world from uh, cancer, from other things, and and we bought it. We bought it. Mm -hmm. uh, Lebensraum. Uh, room, you know, two cars and a chicken in every pot and all, things that I grew up with having been a depression kid. Right. Uh, so uh, I got into it. I mean, I saw the humanitarian aspects and the sins of human behavior, except that these people from another planet were not people. They were reptiles in, um, in the form of, in the physical form of people. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the other device I used was a device that I kind of lifted, and that happens, that happens frequently, but there are ways to avoid any comments from, from people that might be negative, like uh, plague, plagiarism, you know. Uh, but I was captivated many years ago by Holst, Gustav mm -hmm. Holst. Anyway, there was a device that he'd used, and it was in compound rhythm. I changed the rhythm and the notation enough so that nobody would look at me funny, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it became another heart, H-E-A-R-T, of, of the pulse of the whole score, which was a... A four and a half hour picture, and it was almost, were almost two hours worth of music. Uh, and that device is interesting only because it was also kind of a clue that there was something wrong. There was something wrong with these well-intentioned words and these promises that everything's going to be great. Just do what we ask you to do, and we're going to be fine. So it was a hint. It was an early hint that, uh, and it went rhythmically. It went like this, uh, assuming the tempo is here. One, two, da 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 dum, 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 and so forth. And that was an underlying. Uh, element of the score, uh, and as you note, it's not—it's e not an even thing. It's like a little bit left-footed, mm -hmm. so to speak. You know, it's got an extra beat, uh, and uh, combine both of the those elements, which finally got straightened out when things got straightened up out, and there were great references to uh, to. Richard Strauss and some quotes from Wagner because that was one of uh, Kenny's favorite composers and that's what one does when one is a composer and the, you know the, the guy who's calling the shots says can't you do something like Wagner or Strauss it isn't that I can't do it uh, do what other things it's that that's an influence that you can't ignore so that's that's the way V uh, evolved. And there was enough time as they were shooting. And one of the tricks I learned was kind of sneaky, but it was helpful to me. Rob, what it was, uh, I would uh, sometimes even go to the shooting, the, day, uh, the day's shooting in various places, 
just to get a real good handle on what was going on, mm -hmm. to see some of the shooting in action. At times like that, or in meetings where, which I would attend, I would grab Kenny, or, or even more frequently than that, I would call him on the phone because so he had a few other things to do. I would play him a fragment of music on the piano. I'd say, if you got a second, otherwise goodbye. Or call me when you have a second. And I would run by a thematic idea on the phone. He says, no, nah, it sucks. <laughs> Pardon me. But, uh, or he would say, hey, geez, that's, that sounds really good, man. It's not recommended because often... Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're busy juggling other things, and they have been over the many years that we worked together, major surprises, because uh, what I had written now for 60-piece orchestra, he would look at me uh, funny and say, geez, I don't like that, can you do something else? That has happened, uh, and it's difficult to do major changes when you've got 60 players. Mm -hmm. So I found my way with the disciplines I developed working with temperamental, and this is no reference to Kenny, but temperamental, egotistical people who wanted it the way they wanted it. And mm -hmm. unless you did it, you not only didn't work for them anymore, but worse than that, they didn't like you for not conforming to what their wishes might have been that they couldn't express. And that hurt me. That, mm. I want everybody to like me. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. It's, uh, you know, it's one of the problems a lot of people have. Being, uh, you know, people pleaser is terrific, providing uh, you don't say, uh, uh, I'll see you later, and then saunter off whistling some tune and going into the bathroom and weeping or crying or bashing the mirror, you know, because, hey, that's not what I wanted to do at all. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are compromises that one makes uh, along the way, and you cannot avoid it. I don't care what kind of work you do. I miss Joe. I miss him terribly. Uh, he passed away, I believe it was 2006. Ooh. And uh, so, yeah, he. I miss him terribly because he... He was such a generous, generous soul, I have to admit, uh, very, very much so. And his music for, for V and for Incredible mm -hmm. Hulk and Bionic Woman, fantastic. So fantastic. without further ado, why don't we just go right into it. Here is some of uh, Joe Harnell's music from V, the original miniseries. And we'll be back in just a little bit.
And with a little bit of music from the 1983 miniseries V, that's music by Joe Harnell. We'll touch a little bit more on some of his music. But if you are interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I'm on the Twitter at Visions Sound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. I'm also on Good Pods, which is a downloadable app for your phone, or you can also try me on Apple Music, as well as other podcatchers. Just put in the name Visions and Sound Podcast, and you might be able to find me with your favorite podcatcher. So welcome back to Visions and Sound, as this week we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of V. And with me, this week is uh, my my co-host Robbie Sims. He started off as just a fan, and now he's become one of my co-hosts on the show. So it's fantastic, great to have you here. We've been discussing a little bit off off air, actually a lot off air about V and and the the, the show itself. But I have to, I think we kind of touched on it before. But the characters, the relatable characters in the show, for me it was it. it Back then, it started out as, as Don, with Donovan. Donovan, and and later it became characters like Martin. How about you, Robbie? What was what were your your the characters that you most related to? Well, I'm glad that you said Martin because right off the bat, that was the person that I gravitated most to. I think because to have the kind of courage that he would have to have in a situation where it's literally probably thousands to one because literally this you can kind of pick up that this fifth column does not have very many people and he's going against the army and he's going against his leader and if you're caught of course with the visitors there is no middle ground you're you're dead is all there is to it right and that's assuming you don't you know get interrogated by the great diana yeah so I glommed onto him, and boy, oh boy, it was a wild ride because there were times where I thought, "Oh, this could be the end," and um, that I think goes to the to the realism uh, of the show. Um, there was a character by the uh, the actor's name I've kind of forgot uh, the the character name, but it's Rafael Campos. Right, you remember in V the miniseries, the original miniseries, the the the. He was a gardener, and he's literally—they're uh, using his his truck to to smuggle scientists out right. safely. And he's literally at this checkpoint with the family, and and uh, just the courage. And he got caught and interrogated, and you know he he you know I, he, like he told Donovan, I didn't I didn't tell him nothing. You yeah. know that kind of courage, uh, it, it just you kind of in yourself you kind of like man, I would like to think that I could do that. Yeah, And I think that was the genius in this show was it literally was everyday people, normal people doing extraordinary things. Right. Well, what I'm going to do is uh, you've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head here. So I'm going to end off um, with, the, uh, with at least our look at the original um, 83V. And then we'll get into V the Final Battle, but I want to just play off a little bit more music and then we'll come back and we'll discuss the continuing and what happened afterwards. So here's some more music from V, the original miniseries, and we'll be back in just a little bit.
That was another thing that made the from the original mini-series uh, V. That's music by Joe Harnell. So welcome back to Visions and Sound as we are discussing the 40th anniversary of V, the miniseries. So now we move on to, or I will say this, when V ended, uh, the, fir- the first miniseries ended, we were kind of left on a cliffhanger. What was going to happen? Earth was still in peril, but there was still hope. Uh, 
at the time I asked the question, is there going to be more? Or was this just kind of, were they just testing the waters and would left us with this, this huge question, you know, would, would humanity survive in any case? In 1984, we got our answer. V, the final battle, returned, but slightly different. Uh, Johnson had parted ways with uh, NBC over creative differences regarding the content of the miniseries. His writing contributions are actually credited under the pseudonym Lillian Weezer. I found out that it's the, the last name Weezer comes from his, his dog, who was uh, who who had this tendency to wheeze when she when she breathed. So that's where that that comes from. Now Johnson did, however, write a novel called V: The Second Generation, which picks up twenty years after the end of the first V. Now don't get me wrong when I say that the series did carry itself well. The ultimate ending, though, smacks of studio interference, and it's all wrapped up in a little bit too perfect of a bow. Uh, and sets things up for the inevitable series. Um, Robbie, your thoughts on V, the final battle? Well, I liked, I did like where they went with it. I love the characters that they brought on board. Yep. They had some new ones, some minor characters, the, the married couple or almost married couple, the, um, and some of the other ones that they did. But uh, for me, I loved where they went, bringing in Michael Ironside and Mickey Jones. Yep. Um, and the, the, the very, the dynamic of here you had these this group that was struggling through, and here come these professional guys, but they have no feelings whatsoever. It's all about getting the job done and killing as many lizards as possible. Right. And you had to make that dynamic work. You could see the development of Donovan as he comes from a cameraman to a resistance fighter. Right. You know, you you see the ways in which all of these people mature. That even though they're scared, they move on. They're fighting for their freedom. They're fighting for their fellow humanity. For sure. And they know that ultimately there can be nothing short of victory, or we have no hope. Exactly. Well, why don't we just get into because you know time flies. Yes, really quickly on this show and I always think I'm never going to have enough music and then I go well, well now I've got not enough to fill or I've got enough time to fit to to play all the music I want to play so we're going to start off with a little bit uh the actual theme uh for the first couple of episodes of uh, V the Final Battle is actually done and, and the music actually is done by uh, Joseph Conlon and Barry Devorzen and the music in the in later was done by Dennis McCarthy. So we'll start off with that uh, Barry Devorzen and Joseph Conlon theme, and then we'll get right into um, Dennis McCarthy's music. So we'll be right back.
with a little bit of music from the 1984 follow-up to V, V, the Final Battle. It's music by Dennis McCarthy with a theme by Joseph Conlon and Barry Dvorzin. So, welcome back to Visions and Sound. As this week, we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of V. So, V, uh, the Final Battle um, ended kind of oddly with the whole kind of deus ex elizabeth there at the end it's kind of kind of weird but i think what the the thought was is they were setting it up for the eventual series which we'll talk about right now um v the series was the continuation of the saga now unfortunately due to budget cuts and an obvious drop in quality the series only lasted about 18 episodes now dennis mccarthy did return to score the series and the score was released on the DMC label and has since gone out of print. However, it does survive on iTunes. So, Robbie, you're my series expert because I, I don't have the series on DVD. So, what can you tell me about the, just, just briefly, on, on what, this, what happened on, on the series? Well, the basic, the very basic uh, outline of, of the series was the visitors are back. A lot of the air or the, a lot of big part of the earth is off limits to them because of the bacteria that was laid out, that that's what killed them. So there's they concentrate on the areas where they can go. The, the kind of the main crux is Los Angeles. Right. It's considered a demilitarized zone, kind of a place where visitors and, and humans can coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, of course, it's the reality is a lot further from the, the from what the meaning originally was. But it's basically about the the mayor, who is Nathan Smith, played by Nathan Smith, who's right. kind of a crooked guy who likes to play both sides. Jane Badler returns as the leader of the of the the visitors. And the ironic thing is that Nathan uh, Smith's son, who's played by Jeff Yeager, I believe his name yep. is, is also part of the resistance. Uh-huh. And of course, we have some of the people that were in V the Final Battle return. Uh, including um, Michael Wright, uh, uh, Mark Singer, um, and a few others. But right. you hit it on the, t- the t- it just it, it it tried, and there were areas where they were so good, mm-hmm. but you could tell it just wasn't quite the same. And I think a big part of that was they went a little too kooky with the Star Child. Ah, yeah, I would say you're right on that. Well, we're going to get right to the because there's only a few, only very short time, so we're going to get to a little bit of the music from the uh, from V the series in this case. So here is some music from, as I said, V the series from Dennis McCarthy. We'll be right back to wrap up in just a bit.
with a little bit of music from the TV series V, the series. That's music, of course, by Dennis McCarthy. Wow, time has certainly flown on today's show. So uh, I just want to say this. Uh, it, it, thanks for that's all for us this week. Uh, v would continue with a seri- another series in 2009 as kind of a remake of the original series. It would also continue in a series of novels. And I don't know if A.C. Crispin seems to be the one that uh, did a lot of the, a lot of the novels uh, for V and and then V kind of a continuing series. And of course, there's also the aforementioned uh, V, the second generation. Today's producers should take note of how V was able to do short form storytelling. V still works today and would fit right in with the streaming channels. I'm just saying. So yeah. thanks for hanging in, all that did. And as we continue into 2023, I hope as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. Never let anyone tell you any different. If you're ever not feeling right, there are people out there who care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the support of a team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of an emergency, please call 911 for immediate help. Uh, the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, Kids Help Phone at 1 800 668 6868, 1 844 HERE 247, and HERE247.ca all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, join me next week as we conclude 80s Month with a celebration of the 40th anniversary of War Games. Thank you, Robbie, for being on the show this week. It is always a pleasure to have you on, and we got to get you back for another another show in the future, for sure. Well, thank you for having me, good sir. I, I loved uh, reminiscing about the past with you, and absolutely... Show me a lineup, and I'll pick one out, and I will come back for sure. Okay, awesome. Well, I'll end off this week's show with some more music from V, in this case by Joe Harnell. And also stay tuned for Indemix and The Dark Side with Madam Ravencroft. Yes. I'll be back next week with more Visions in Sound.